Well, if you have your Bible, would you turn to James chapter 5, verse, verses 13 through 18? Uh, we're going to look at James chapter 5, 13 through 18, but really specifically focus in on uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, if you have joined us since the beginning of the service, which y'all, I've been a pastor long enough to know, that's about half of us in the room, and lots of people online. Uh, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, pastor Eric is over preaching at our scattered church uh, worship gathering in room uh, on the second floor, room 216, I think is that's, that's where it is. Many of your life groups have rotated through there, and uh, we're helping our church see and know and understand what it means to lead a church gathering somewhere other than here at 312 Kempsville Road. And we have a team of people that are being trained to lead scattered church gatherings uh, around the seven cities of Hampton Roads. And this morning, Eric is over there uh, preaching that, and I'm here uh, preaching here. And so if you're a first-time guest, all that to say, Please don't not come back because of the preacher this morning, all right? Come back next week. Uh, Eric will be here for sure. He's here this morning, just in another room of the church. Uh, so that being said, I hope you're in James chapter 5. Find your place to verses 13 through 18, and specifically verse 16 this morning. And today, we're going to look at the reality that as family, we pray for one another. For the very last uh, sermon in this series, we are going to look at one another and say, we're family. Look at the person to the left of you and say, we're family. Look at the, per the person to the right of you and say, we're family. Everybody in the, on the uh, bottom section, look up at the balcony. In the balcony, y'all look down here and yell out, we're family. That's right. Even the balcony's family, right? We are family online in the room. We're family because we are united together under the family of God, all for the same purpose, all by the same way of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. We're family. And as family, when one person hurts, we all get involved. That's how it works. You might have family members in your own family that you know they have issues and they need some help. Not every issue that every family member has needs everybody's help, but there are some things that we all have to help with in our family. If a brother, I have three of them, calls and says, I have a cold, I say, suck it up, buttercup, take some cold medicine, go back and be a man. That's what I say. Unless it's a man cold. They're worse than women colds. They just are. But I say, right, if it's a cold, like, give it 24 hours, you'll be fine. They don't even call about that. Uh, but if a family member calls and says, I have terminal cancer, you're on a plane and you're there in a minute, aren't you? See, we're, we're family. In the same way, what James chapter 5, verse 16, and really 13 through 18 is going to teach us overall, is that there are things in the family of God, there are things not just generally, but specifically in your life that you need help with more than what you can give yourself. James chapter 5, verse 16 is going to help us see that when we are sick and tired specifically of sinning, 
When there is a sin in your life that is kicking your butt, eating your lunch, it over and over and over again, 99 times out of 100, it wins. You need help. We're family. That when you are sick and tired of sitting, here's what we are to do. Get with another believer, tell them your specific sin, and have them pray over you, then they do the same. A fancy word for this is the word confession. Everybody say confession. James chapter 5 verse 16 is going to help us see that the confession of sin to a brother or sister in Christ and them praying over us is a device that God has created for you to be broken away from the bondage of sin. You see, there are sins in your life that you will have in your lifetime that you would be a fool to try to battle yourself. In the same way that a terminal cancer diagnosis requires the collective family to come together, there are sins that will beat you every single time You need help, and you have it because we are family. And let me just say this specifically, because we live in an age and time and culture where pornography is rampant, where it's creeped its way into just about every area, and in fact, all of you have, most of you have a device in your hand or in your pocket that is easily used for pornography. It is destroying every generation that's alive right now. And so specifically, I want you to know that if pornography has taken a hold of your life, you can't win against it. 99 out of 100 times you lose when you come up against that temptation. Let me just be very clear from the beginning that though everything we're talking about applies to sins that kick all of our tails and each of us have our things, I I want you to know that specifically for porn, you have family to help. This is for you. This is for you. This is so you can have people that help you break free from sin that so easily entangles you. So that being said, let's look at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, and we'll see what God tells us to do when we are sick and tired of sinning. James chapter 5, verse 13 says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven." 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another, verse 16, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray that God would give us understanding of this passage, and then we'll look at it together. God, I ask that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit be conformed into the image of Jesus. God, I pray that you would shape our personalities and our ideas to reflect him, to reflect your holy nature. Lord, would you help us to understand your word today? God, would you give us an ability to know and apply your scripture? God, I ask that you would help us to know what you mean by this. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to shape our lives in the same way that this scripture should shape us. Father, I ask that you would help us to apply this specifically today, that we would be made more in love with Jesus and more like him as we walk within the system of truth you've given us. And it's in his name we pray, amen. There are three types of people in this world. The first are those that celebrate Christmas after Halloween. The other two are Grinches and Scrooges. And so I'll let you guys decide which group I'm in, but we listen to Christmas music in our house, well, pretty much year-round. But also, specifically, my wife and I aren't on the same page about this, but you all pray for us. Uh, Specifically, uh, we listen to it often. And I don't know if you've heard the song, uh, I don't even know, uh, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, right? I was listening to it this year, and I quickly realized I have no idea what figgy pudding is. I've never been to a Christmas gathering where someone says, awesome, now bring out the figgy pudding or we're not leaving, right? That's the point of that song at the end. Like, we're not leaving until we get some of that. And I had to Google figgy pudding to figure out what it is. I've been singing it for, well, as long as I could sing. I'm 36, so I don't know, 30 four years or something, like bring out the figgy pudding and bring some out here. And I have no idea what it is. In fact, I would be curious if anyone here serves figgy pudding at their Christmas gathering this year. I get to go to all sorts of life group Christmas things. At my house, we have uh, our life group thanksmas thing coming up in December. Not a single person has signed up to bring Figgy pudding. It's a part of our history, but not a part of our practice. Hey, y'all, that's what confession of sin is sometimes in our church life, isn't it? It's an idea that we have a a traditional respectability for, but for various reasons, we just don't do it. And I don't mean confession of sin, of going before God and saying, God, would you forgive me of my sin and make me a follower of you? That, my friends, is called justification. That's the moment where someone who does not know God realizes that they don't know God, and God, by his Spirit, says, I sent Jesus to die 
for your sins so that you and I could be restored. You are not righteous. Jesus is righteous. If you uh, ask me to forgive you of your sin, I will give you Jesus's righteousness and you get to be righteous just like me. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. James chapter 5 verse 16 is not talking about that, but rather about something else. The confession of sin in James chapter 5 verse 16 isn't talking about the idea of being freed completely forever from sin. Y'all, there is a day coming whenever every tear is wiped away, where there is no more pain, where there is no more sickness, where there is no more suffering, where there is no more sin, because God has come to restore everything back to his original order of making everything perfect, just as he has designed. That day is coming where we are glorified, but that is not confession. Confession in the life of a believer is a part of an idea of sanctification, where you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are coming face to face with the reality that God has saved me, that, my, that I'm fully saved, and now I am working out my salvation as I come face to face with the sin in my life to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. It's the kind of confession that 1 John 1, 9 talks about when John writes to believers and he says that you, if you confess, blah, 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 that uh, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's this idea that you have been saved, you are continuing to be saved, and you will be saved fully, that God has written your name down. You are his son and his daughter, and you, in your, uh, in your uh, being his child, he is forming more into his image. And part of that process is coming face to face with the reality that there are things in my life that do not look like him. And there's a way to handle that. And James begins in chapter 5, verse 13, and he puts all of this idea of confessing sin in the context of prayer. And prayer so that at the very end of verse 16, you may be healed. Now look at James chapter 5, verse 13, and watch how this builds to verse 16. James writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Then he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Literally, whether you're doing bad or you're feeling really good, talk to God about it. Anybody at any moment. And then in this, he continues on in verse 14, and he says, is anyone among you sick? And this is the word that means literally you have fallen ill, like you have a cold or a cough or COVID or sickness or cancer, or whatever. You, you've fallen ill. Is anyone among you 
sick. Now watch what happens. Verse 13, James says, this is what you do on your own. Verse 14, James brings in, if anyone is sick, here's what you're going to do. And now becomes a group effort. Watch. He says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now there's something that's happened in your life that you need people to come around you for. You're not just doing bad or having a bad day. You're not just feeling satisfied and having a good day. You are sick and you need someone to come in. You need the elders to come in. You need the pastors of the church to come in and pray over you and anoint you and say, God, would you protect and heal this person from their sickness? A group effort for this sickness. And watch what happens and what James connects. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James now takes the idea of a group effort of someone's sickness and the idea of sins in that sickness and brings them together. And now we transition to verse 16. Here's why I want you to see this. Because verse 16 happens in the context of James saying, if you are suffering, pray. If you are in an area, a season of your life where you're just satisfied with everything, pray. If you are sick, pray. But then in verse 16, here's what he says. If confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay, so something happens in verse 15 that goes from if you're suffering, pray. If you are satisfied, pray. Verse 14, or verse 15 rather, uh, if you are sick, gather people around you. Here's where we transition. The idea of sickness is not just falling ill in verse 14. The idea of sickness in verse 15 is when you are exhausted to the core of who you are, gather people around you so that they can pray for you in that. The difference between verse 14 and verse 15 is this. James wants you to know that when you're sick physically, man, we need people to pray for you. The nuanced difference in verse 15 is this. When you are sick physically or in your soul, that's what this idea means. You need more than yourself. You need others to come around you. And now in verse 16, he begins to lay into this idea of here's what you do when you are sick and tired of sin. Now, the Bible does not teach that every sin causes physical sickness. That's a really poor teaching that sometimes we guilt ourselves to think. It can cause us. I've walked with people who've, who've thought, man, maybe it's something I did when I was 14 or 15 or 12 or whatever, and now I'm suffering now for that. Listen, the message of the gospel is not the message that uh, God is fair about your sin. In fact, he's completely unfair in his direction. He is a gracious, forgiving 
God. He's not waiting to get you for all the things he did in your life. Rather, he got Jesus on the cross and you get his perfect righteousness. But what this is talking about is the reality that as a believer in Jesus Christ, when you sin, and when in verse 15, you are sick and tired of sin, there's a way to take care and address that sin, and thus verse 16 is the answer, confess your sins to one another. Y'all, that's hard. Collectively, confessing sins is often an individual thing. We have a hard time understanding the reality or practicing this, that when I find myself in sin, I need to go to a brother or sister, tell them my sin and my struggle, and have them pray for me in that. Sometimes we're afraid to do that because we've been burned by that process before. James is going to tell us the kind of person that we need to meet with and confess our sin to in just a minute. But I, I mean, I've been burned by people who find out that I share my sins with and they use that knowledge wrongly. In fact, you probably know people who just won't come back to church or whatever because that's happened to them. Some of us come from a, a faith background where the confession of sin was used in, well, a theologically wrong but really just practically abusive manner. Uh, maybe you don't want to confess your sin to another brother or sister because you just think like if they knew what I'm really struggling with, it would totally change my reputation with them. Or maybe you've built up a callousness over the years of this is just how I am. I want you to know that the way that God has designed your life in Jesus Christ is to be freed from the bondage of sin. And when, you, please hear this, when we throw up all sorts of reasons why we can't sit down with somebody and confess our sin to them, because of the consequences, we are, by definition, acting in bondage to sin. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have to know that right now, in this moment, what Jesus is doing in heaven is acting continually so that you do not remain in bondage to sin. 
Here's what I mean. Jesus right now in heaven, right now in heaven, in this very moment, is, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, our great high priest who never ceases to intercede for you before the Father. Right now in heaven, in this very moment, Jesus is standing before the throne room of God, the judgment seat of God, and he's saying, this one right here, he is mine. He is applying, I died for this one. I died for their, their sins. I died for this one right here. He is mine right now, right now in heaven, according to 1 John chapter, uh, uh, chapter 2. Jesus is your advocate. He is the one who is coming along beside you and saying, this believer right here, you are mine. Let's advocate for you. I'm with you. We're going to get through this. Right now in this moment, you have Jesus himself who is standing before the Father and saying, this one is mine. I've died for him. Coming along beside you saying, this one is mine. You are mine. I am with you. I died for you in this moment. When we get with another brother and sister and confess our sin the right way to the right person, we are doing right now what Jesus is doing forever in heaven. We are finding someone who's going to inter intercede for us in prayer to God. We are finding someone who's coming along beside us and it's going to say, I'm with you in this. We're going to get through this together. They are not Jesus, but they are helping us see Jesus as we confess our sin to one another so that we would be healed from that. This word healed, if you look in verse 16, this idea of being healed is of course connected to physical healing. Absolutely. We, we pray when people are sick that they're healed. We see when people are sick, we pray for them and the Lord, sometimes it's in his will to heal them. But this idea of being healed in Scripture also has to do with those who are wandered far, who have wandered away from God that need the intervention of God that they would be restored back to Him. Over and over in the Gospels, when Jesus laments about His people and He says, Oh, they are blind and they're deaf. I wish they would turn their eyes to me and see and their ears to me and hear that they would be healed, that they would be restored. Here's the thing. Confession of sin to a brother or sister in Christ is the place, the device that God has designed for you to find restoration from your sin. That can make us uncomfortable. But this is not a solo task of living the Christian life. Look at verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. Have you ever stubbed your toe? You see, even though the toe might be small, when it hurts, everything stops, right? And you address it. In the same way, sin in the life of an individual believer does have a group effect. You need the others to help you address that. Now, who are these others that we confess to? Because I believe in God's word and he gives us wisdom. And in his word, he tells us what it looks like to confess our sin to one another. Look at the second half of verse 16, and then we'll kind of see how all this ties together as we apply it. James says, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James, God's word, wants you to know that who we're confessing to is someone who walks righteous before God. Now, that's convicting for us personally. I, I need to make sure that I'm walking righteous before God so that when a, someone gives me a call and says, Tim, I, I need to talk to you. I'm suffering. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with sin. It's kicking my tail. I need to tell you about it, and I need you to pray for me. I want to make sure that I'm walking right before the Lord so that I can be that person that someone can lean on. But you might be in here and say, that's got to be the job of a pastor only, right? Well, look at the example that James gives here. He gives the example of Elijah in verse 17 and 18. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he had the same feelings. He had the same suffering. He had the same emotions and conditions and struggles. You read the story of Elijah in 1 Kings and you figure out, man, he, he didn't work, walk perfectly with the Lord, but man, he walked powerfully with the Lord. That's the kind of person you're looking for. You're not trying to find a believer who's perfect, and if you're not perfect, welcome to the group. Not a single person on this stage is, and no one in the pews are either. No one watching online is either. No one in the balcony is either. Welcome to the club, but we do serve a perfect Savior, and we find someone who's walking close to him, and we say, man, would you, would you meet with me? I got to tell you something, and I need you to pray for me. And the second thing, and then we'll apply this pretty quickly, is we're looking for someone who's righteous, and we're looking for someone who will pray for us. Confession is not behavior modification time. When you confess your sins to a brother or sister, you need someone who's going to listen and pray for you, not fix and give you advice. 
That's good, but you need someone who's not going to justify and say, well, I get it, you were weak, I've been weak too. I don't know, not a big deal. You need someone who's not going to come beside you and say, well, I don't know, try to do better next time. Here's all the reasons why. But instead say, thank you for sharing that with me. Let me pray for you about that. We confess our sins to one one another so that we would be prayed for and ask God who is interceding right now on our behalf, who's Jesus is perfectly advocating next to us on our behalf, that that person would say, God, would you, would you help this brother or sister? They're struggling with this specific thing. It is kicking their tail by the power of your spirit. Would you allow them to be freed from this thing? Would you strengthen them that they would no longer fall into this temptation. God, would you come beside them and help them know your love and your word, that they would know your truth and walk fully with you. God, would you give them grace in this? Would you help them see how your beautiful atonement through Jesus Christ applies to them in this very moment? God, would you help them to walk holy and humbly before you. God, give them courage and wisdom on how to handle the situation so that they would cut out the things that are entangling them. And God, would you continue to surround them with people that love you and know your word and can speak your truth into their life. God, would you in this moment be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. And then they turn around and say, I got something to share with you too. Would you pray for me? What a beautiful moment that is. You see, the reason why I, I, can, I can stand here and say this kind of confession of sin is about as common as figgy pudding at a Christmas party is because I'm just guessing that that is an irregular part of most people's lives. I will be up here after the service and you can correct me afterwards if you'd like. But it isn't. Instead, there's this, this embarrassment of unspoken Or would you pray for me? I'm just, I don't know, I've been generally angry lately. Oh, yeah, yeah, And you know, that, that's not bad or wrong. I'm not downplaying that. I'm instead saying, in the lie and the sins that are destroying your life, that you can't break a hold of, God's given you a greater, more powerful, better device, family. Let's confess and get them involved. So what do we do with this? Well, the point is the application. Here we go. You're going to get with another believer, tell them your specific sin, and have them pray over you. And don't worry if you're a first-time guest, we're going to do that right in this moment. I know that. I I want you to find someone who walks with Jesus and say, hey, here's something that, man, over and over and over again. It is just, it's eating my lunch. I just can't win. And then they're going to do the same. 
You guys, I want you to know that unconfessed sin is sin that festers. I'm telling you. You will not beat it by yourself. It will destroy you. God didn't design you to do it for yourselves. In fact, today after the service, if there's something you want to talk through, man, there's going to be some people up front. We aren't perfect, but we love Jesus. We would be called walking in righteousness, but not perfection. And we would love to hear and talk with you about the sin that's kicking your tail. So that you would know what it is to have freedom in your fellowship with Christ as you fellowship with his body, with his family. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's somebody in here who does not know who Jesus is, rather, you're not following him, I want to ask you, would today you believe in Jesus Christ? I want you to know that you are a sinner. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everybody in this room, everybody in this room has done that. And the consequences of that is separation from God forever. But here's the beautiful part. God knows that you could never be restored back to him on your own. And so, he sent the Son of God to die for your sin so that you could be forgiven, your sin would be atoned, paid for, and you could be restored back to him. Whatever the darkness of your sin, God's light breaks through and overcomes. Whatever the depth of your sin, God's grace in Jesus Christ is deeper and higher. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sin, you've never confessed for the first time that you are a sinner and ask God to save you. Right now in your seat where you are, would you pray and say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me of my sin and allow me to follow you? I want you to know that the Bible promises that those who pray that confess their sin, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in him, they're saved. That's God's promise. So if today that's you and you prayed to receive Jesus, welcome to the family of God. I want to talk with you in just a little bit after this. For everybody else, here's what I'd ask you to do. If getting with another brother or sister in Christ is an irregular discipline in your life, Today, would you just take some time to ask God to give you the courage 
to text, call, email, or before you leave today, talk with them face to face and say, I want to buy you a cup of coffee. We need to have a conversation. We need to talk about sin, and I need you to pray for me. And if you're in here and you receive that text, phone call, email, or face-to-face. Right now, ask God, God, prepare my heart to open my schedule, treat them like family with a terminal diagnosis, and say, yes, I will meet with you. God, give me grace in that moment to listen. Give me wisdom, fill me with your spirit in that moment to pray for them. And God, give me courage to help them know my sin as well, that they would pray for me. One last thing and then I'm done. If you're on the fence about that, this week I was having a conversation with a younger dad and we were talking about an older couple in the church who I know really well and some of their story. And he said to me, I wish I knew some of the struggles that the older members of our church had. I had no idea that was a part of their story. You've got to know that when you meet with another brother or sister in Christ and you say, here's my sin, would you pray for me? Not only is this God's design to help you be broken and freed from the bondage of sin, but there's a beautiful testimony going on in the heart of that person saying, oh my goodness, the gospel is for me too. The gospel's for them and I'm there. The gospel's for me too. So let's pray. Let's sing one last song and then we'll go forward ready to confess our sin, ready to help others be like Jesus, ready to help others break free from the bondage of sin that they have, and ready to testify about the work of God in our own lives, that he too saves sinners just like us. Let's pray. God, give us grace and wisdom in this moment to respond to you appropriately. We love you, Lord. Amen.